Hello, beautiful souls. When I started on the parasite journey with last, the last parasite episode, the last ignored epidemic episode, I didn't realize how much information there was to share there, how long it was going to take. And I prefer to keep these to around 20 minutes. So we broke it up into two different segments. So this is the second part of that. And this is where it gets a little bit where it might get triggering for some people. So if that's you, then just know that we went over some of the basics in that first episode of what parasites are in the body and what they do in the body and things like that. We're going to be talking more about how they create symptoms in a different episode and more about how you can address them and a couple of other things as well in an upcoming episode. But I just wanted to like that. Um, you don't have to watch this particular episode if you do feel like it could be triggering for you. But if you are interested, then there's a ton of really good information in here. And I think there are going to be some places where you connect the dots for what you're experiencing with chronic symptoms. If you're experiencing that or if you have a friend or a family member or a child or partner who might be experiencing some of these. So please do make sure also to sign up for my masterclass series. We're going to be, we're going to be talking more about these parasites and you can, it's going to be a live workshop. You can ask questions. We're also going to be going into a hands-on balancing for your nervous system masterclass. And we're also going to be talking about the foods that you can eat to support this whole process of recovering and what to stay away from as well. So here's the rest of the parasites. We're going to be talking about some of the specific ones and how you get them. And I hope that you enjoy. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but I hope it's helpful for you. So let's talk about pinworms first. So this is within these multicellular types of pathogens, types of parasites that we're talking about. And penworm is the most common of the worms in the United States, and it's most prevalent in children. I'm not sure about in other countries. And we say that it's most prevalent in children, but I'm not fully convinced of that. So you can get penworm through contaminated food, water, and as well as host dust, which is from the other person who has it and also from human contact. And this is really interesting. Again, we're getting into maybe TMI territory here, but the adult female pinworm moves outside of the anus. So it actually comes outside of the anus to lay eggs and children can easily transmit these worms through the, to the entire family through bathtub, toilet seats, bed clothes. And again, I think that it's not just an issue for children. I know that some of my students have had pinworms too. And then perianal itching is one of the most classic penworm symptoms. But they, the reason that they're called penworms or threadworms sometimes is because they resemble threads. And they have been linked actually to a really large number of neurological and behavioral symptoms. For example, in a 10-year study of over 2,000 cases of children with penworms, it was documented these 
seemingly unrelated symptoms, which had previously not been associated with this particular infection, were documented to be related to that pinworm infection. And again, in an upcoming episode, we're going to be talking about some of the ways in which these parasites can affect us and our moods. Absolutely, they can affect us mood-wise because of the toxins that they release and because of the other damage that they're doing in the body. Let's talk about roundworms now as well. Now, these are the ones that I have a personal obscenity for because I saw a lot of these coming out and a lot of people see these come out. So this is also fairly common and it's a scarycoides is the technical name for it. It's estimated that approximately 1 billion people are infected with Ascaris. And again, I would say that it's much, much more than that. And it looks like a common earthworm. And it's spread directly to humans from soil or from contaminated food. Now, once the worms develop in the body, they can actually pass through the liver and the lungs. And this is where we see things like severe tissue irritation, allergic reactions, and also the adult worms can travel through the body and end up just about anywhere, including the liver, the heart, the lungs. I think I've also seen studies where they end up in the brain. There have been some really interesting studies, some actual postmortem studies done on MS patients where they've found different types of parasites in the brain and the spine, like we were talking about earlier. And these roundworms, they can also create intestinal obstruction when they're in big enough numbers. If you're having trouble with constipation, or with diarrhea, really, for that matter, you might look to, will definitely look to parasites, of course, always. Now, symptoms, specific symptoms from roundworms can be nervousness, colic, poor appetite, fatigue, allergic reactions, coughing, wheezing, and tons of other things as well. You'll also often find food craving. And, and like we were talking about earlier, malnutrition. These are characteristic of heavy Ascaris infections because the worms compete with your food, right? For, for your food. And they also inhibit the absorption of your proteins, carbs, and fat-soluble vitamins. Trouble. Next one is hookworm parasites. And these are found in warm, moist soil, the larvae. They can enter the body actually by directly penetrating the skin. I love to walk barefoot on the beach. Might not always be the best idea. Same with walking barefoot outside. Now, I'm a big believer in walking barefoot outside on grass for grounding purposes. I don't know. It's a talk up there. Uh, now, hookworms travel through the bloodstream to the lungs. And actually, specifically, they can get into the alveoli. And that's the, the little parts of the lungs that absorb the oxygen, right? The little fine hair-like thing. And they can also up the trachea to the throat. And then they're swallowed and end up in the small intestines, which is where they really want to be. When the larvae actually pass through the lungs, you might end up develop, developing bronchitis, 
And what these do, these hookworms, is the larva actually attaches to the intestinal mucosa with these teeth-like hooks. And they take, they actually literally use the blood. So they're like vampires, right? And these are found worldwide. They're very prevalent in just a, a wide variety of geographical locations. And some of these symptoms might include itchiness, nausea, lung problems, anorexia sometimes, weight loss, weight gain. And that can be confusing, I know, but it's the same with all these parasites. They can either sometimes cause weight loss or weight gain. And especially with these hookworms, anemia. And a single worm can live up to 15 years in the human body. So we need to take care of this. We need to take care of them. The next one is trichinella parasites. And just about any symptom that we experience can be caused by various stages of trichinosis. So they can masquerade as other diseases up to 50 more, actually at least 50 more other diseases, going from the flu to specific aches and pains. And we're talking about roundworms, and most of those are transmitted through contaminated soils. But these small spiral-shaped trichinella can also be found in pork. And these can become enclosed in a cyst. We were talking about that before. And especially with pork, if it's not thoroughly cooked, then those cysts get through unharmed. So several different types there. It's not only through pork, but then these worms can actually burrow throughout the entire body. And again, just remember that we're only talking about a small number of the parasites that you can find. And again, I'm going to keep on saying it. I'm not talking about this to freak you out or to make you feel bad, but rather to say, this is the problem. There are solutions, and that's where we need to be looking towards. And that's what we're going to be talking about in some of these other episodes. So then we also have these different types of tapeworms, and those are often transmitted through beef, through pork through other meats, but they can also get into your system and through fish. They can also get to your system through other ways as well. And these tapeworms, it's really interesting because even if they're really long, right, these are the ones that can be up to, what, like 20 feet or something, maybe even longer than that. But they're another slow burn thing, right? It doesn't produce severe symptoms right away. But over time, it builds up. And the other thing to take into consideration is very rarely do you only have one type of parasite. Usually, it's the combination of several of these. So these tapeworms, they are composed of a thousand to two thousand segment strands, which are known as proglottid. And they contain both male and female reproductive organs. So not only is that tapeworm itself causing issues, but they're also reproducing and creating more little tapeworms. 
they use what we eat, and they also utilize the tissues of our body for their proteins and things like that, right? So you can see how they can cause a lot of damage over time and when the load is built up. And again, some of these tapeworms have lifespans of 20 to 25 years. So some of the symptoms are diarrhea, abdominal cramping, nervousness, nausea, loss of appetite, and or food cravings. Some of these different types of tapeworms can also create, they can also produce seizures and brain deterioration, right? Specifically the the pork tapeworm and I think a couple of other ones too. Um, the pork tapeworm specifically, the immature larva invades the muscle, the heart, or the brain. And this is where we can have those issues that we were talking about a little bit earlier with, with brain symptoms. So even brain fog, but also developing things like Alzheimer's and things like that. Now, fish tapeworms are actually, they're the largest parasite that can be found in humans. So they're even larger than some of these other tapeworms that we're talking about. And this can be contracted by eating raw or lightly cooked freshwater or other migratory species of fish like Alaskan salmon, perch, pike, pickerel, and turbot. And I just think back to when I used, I loved sushi. I loved sushi, y'all. And I just think back to that now and I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do to myself? In the human intestine, a fish tapeworm can consume 80 to 100% of the host's vitamin B. So all of you out there who are dealing with vitamin B deficient, B12 deficiencies, it's definitely worth doing. It's always, all of this is worth addressing, right? You also might be noticing digestive disturbances, pain, feeling fullness in the upper abdomen, nausea. Those are some of the common symptoms for the fish tapeworms. Then... We're going to talk about the liver fluke parasites. And these are really interesting because they actually inhabit the bile duct of the liver, which causes problems for the liver, but also the gallbladder. And this means that your digestion is affected because the gallbladder isn't able to release the bile properly. And it also means, of course, that your liver isn't able to work properly with the gallbladder. And as you probably know, the liver is so important for uh, for cleansing, for detoxing the body. If your liver is compromised, then you're in trouble. So that's one of the reasons that it's important to address these parasites in a certain order. And we'll be going more into that in some upcoming episodes as well. Liver flukes are transmitted through the ingestion of raw, dried, salted, pickled, or undercooked fish. Unfortunately, I love fish. I love crustaceans and all those things. But snails, carp, and over 40 additional species of fish have been known to intermediate, to be intermediate hosts to this fluke. And it, they can cause inflammation, chills, fever, jaundice, and actually end up causing some types of hepatitis. And again, quite a few 
mm-hmm. more people have actually have these than has been acknowledged. Then you have your blood fluke parasites. And you usually see these coming from freshwater snails, which actually we end up seeing quite a lot when we go down to the river. If you are familiar with uh, my Instagram and things like that, you'll know that we love going to the river and paddle boarding and to lakes sometimes and oceans and things like that. These blood flukes are especially from freshwater snails. And uh, the snails release the larva into the water, and then the larva can directly penetrate the skin of humans or fish and, you know, contaminate that fish. It then, the larva is carried through the bloodstream to the veins of the liver, the intestines, the bladder, right? We haven't really talked about the bladder very much, but if you have bladder issues, if you're having urinary tract issues, if you're having kidney issues, All of those can come back to parasites. And inflammation is going to be occurring when these worms lodge into the lining of the intestines or the liver or all these other places that we're talking about here. Just a note there as well. There's another video that I did on how parasites cause MCAT, right? Mast cell activation syndrome. So when you think about all these different parasites that are most probably in your body, if you're experiencing chronic symptoms, they all cause inflammation, MCAS. Additionally, also the bladder and urinary tract can become infected by worms. And so that's what we're talking about there. There's a lot there. And again, There are things, and we didn't even talk about fungus. We didn't even talk about viruses. We didn't even talk about what I call the big bees, the Bartonella, uh, Borrelia, and Babesia. And then there are some other types that we didn't talk about either. But the basics, y'all, is that you don't need to know all of them specific, and you don't even need to know exactly what you have. All we need to do is to address them, right? And you can do that in several different ways. Again, I'm going to be talking more about that, but I do find that for a lot of people, so basically the I'll give you the basics of how we take a look at it in the Relief and Transformation course. We start out by using herbs and see how far we can get with that, herbs and supplements. And then a lot of people, though, they need to do what's called medication stacking. And so they actually need to use medications. We'll talk, we'll be talking a little bit more about testing and things like that. But what we find is that doing testing just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It, and even then you still want to have a combination of a broad approach to take care of a lot of different things and your more pointed approach for the specifics of what you specifically have. And there are ways that we determine what those specifics are for you in the course as well. So I hope that's helpful. And just remember that overall, we, in order to be able to really sink into these solutions, I think it is important to know what the problems are. And if if you're listening and you have chronic symptoms, you probably, hopefully, are starting to connect some of the dots and go, oh my gosh, 
This is making sense now. When I finally ran across these, these things that were linked and started to put two and two together and I went, Oh my gosh, it's so simple. <laughs> the, what the answer is to my lifelong fibromyalgia and to all the students that I have who are dealing with long COVID and what I experienced with MECFS and long COVID and what my students are experiencing with MECFS and linking all these together and the relief that people find when they know what it is that's causing the problem. I actually, I'll just tell you this and we'll wrap things up here, but two of my students right now are kids and they've had long COVID for three years. They're currently eight and 13. So they, from ages five and 10, and they were bed bound for the first year of that. And I remember for myself, when I was growing up, having to go from doctor to doctor and in and out of hospitals and things like that, and how scary it was and how I sometimes felt like I, maybe I was just making it all up and I shouldn't be that sick. And I just remember that. So I got to talk to them, uh, earlier this week and it, and to be able to explain to them what's happening in their bodies and that there are things that we can do about it to help them to get better and just to the understanding that they had after that discussion i could just tell they they actually said yeah we feel better about this now it's not as scary we know that we're going in the right direction they didn't say that specifically obviously but i just know that as a kid and as an adult to be able to know what's happening is such a huge relief and it's such a big step in the right direction so i hope all that is super helpful for you and please let me know what you think about about all of this in the comments let me know if you found this helpful let me know if you made any connections for yourself and what you might be experiencing please also make sure to subscribe and to, and to share with other people. I really want to get this information out there because it's so important, even for people who are having just, you know, mild symptoms, mild chronic symptoms, so that it doesn't get too big. And, and then for if you are dealing with these even severe chronic symptoms, knowing that there are answers out there, that there are solutions, that there are things that you can do to fully recover. So I will see you in the next episode. We're going to keep on this journey of parasites and what to do about them. And in the meantime, just be well and know that again, there are answers. There is hope.